Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for checking out the show today. We have just a show that I could not be more excited about today to share with you guys because I have thought a lot about the topic. Before we jump into that, I want to make sure that you guys are subscribed and that you have liked this content and that you share it with friends when you're done listening. So make sure to do that. Now, today, our guest is a guy named Nate Adwood. He has been a pastor for 40 years, and he is presently the pastor of St. Giles in Charlotte, North Carolina. The reason I wanted to have Nate on today is because in his storied career of over 40 years, he has pastored one of the largest churches in his denomination and been with some of the biggest names in Christianity. And he stepped away from that to take on a much smaller church when he became the pastor of St. Giles. So I talked to him about the pros and cons of really large churches and the pros and cons of having pastors who are celebrities. And suffice to say, all I can tell you is that it's a really fair an open-minded conversation about what a healthy church looks like, how we can truly impact lives, and why we may be adopting cultural ideas when it comes to our fixation with celebrity pastors in really, really large churches. But I'd love for you guys to be the judge of that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy listening. And if it is a blessing to you, make sure to leave a comment below and don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks so much for checking it out today. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. My name is Reed Uberman, and I'm really excited to be speaking to Nate Atwood today. He is the pastor of St. Giles Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we're going to be talking today about celebrity pastors and celebrity pastor culture within churches, just because I think a lot of that has gained an all-new sense of relevance, uh, just because some of the things that have happened uh probably pre-COVID, post-COVID as well. Um, and I'll dig into that a little bit from my kind of personal perspective. But uh, before I give a little bit more of your credentials on why I wanted to talk with you about this, I uh, just want to say thanks for being on the show today, Nate. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm delighted to be here uh, and uh, look forward to our time together. Yeah, me too. Okay, so uh, let me give just a, I want to give the audience a little bit of your credentials just so they'll know kind of from what perspective or experience you have kind of speaking about the phenomenon of celebrity culture and celebrity pastors within within churches. So uh, you pastored one of the largest churches in your denomination, and you ended up in the highest elected office in your denomination. At that same time, you were just down the road from CBN, for those who don't know, Christian Broadcast Network, and many of the leading figures there, including, uh, there were many leading figures there, including Pat Robertson, who attended your church. Uh, so that connection pulled you kind of into the world of celebrity pastors and uh, notable and recognizable names in the evangelical world. So from that, you kind of rubbed elbows with the, if you want to call it this, the higher echelon of, of Christian uh, pastors in the world. Now, I, I think that that right there, go ahead, goes ahead and it gives us kind of the predicate for you having experience uh, with with that kind of realm of Christianity. Um, I want to give my kind of personal story here to let people who are listening know why uh, this is relevant to me, but also maybe relevant to them. So um, celebrity pastorship was something that just kind of came along with 
what's the megachurch movement. It seemed to be like if you were going to have a megachurch, you had to be a celebrity pastor. You had to be well-known, and, uh, you know, that's just kind of the name of the game. And, uh, and, and, but, but something never stuck right with me about it. And then, um, most recently, along with a couple, many other things, obviously, but most recently what happened with Carl Lentz happened. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he's the, um, the, one of the founding pastors of Hillsong, New York city in, in New York. And, uh, and so during COVID it came out that he had had multiple affairs and been um, unfaithful to his wife and he stepped down. And so here's where kind of the personal story. And I think people can relate to this. When I first heard that, I'm just going to go ahead and tell on myself, Nate, I said, aha, that's what happens to you celebrity pastors when you don't really preach the word of God and you don't stay faithful to, to the truth. Um, and I saw that coming a mile away and probably other people like me did as well came as very, I was obviously shocked and horrified for the family, but it came as very little shock to me from a guy who on a regular basis refused to stand up for Christian truth. Um, and you can go look through a list of YouTube appearances by uh, Carl Lentz, where you'll see that he refused to stand up for uh, life and the pro-life movement. He refused to stand up for traditional marriage and traditional sexuality and all that kind of stuff. But then Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi is somebody who I looked up to, somebody who I just absolutely adored. I love Christian apologetics. He was such a brilliant and such a gift to the body of Christ. And then it came out, um, and I think Christianity Today broke the story, uh, came out that he was not only unfaithful to his wife, but also that he had had a pattern of sexual abuse and sexual assault of women that were either in his employ or people that were associated with him. And, uh, and then that kind of made me repent a little bit and step back and say, perhaps this is something that's more endemic to the culture of celebrity. So I kind of want to just turn it over to you now, enough of setting that up and just say, uh, I know this is a big, broad question, and we could probably spend the rest of the time just talking about this, but if we can make it general and we'll whittle our way down, do you think that pastors should be celebrities? No. <laughs> it's a really Someone bad else. idea. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's a bad idea uh, for the church. I also think it's a really bad idea for the pastors. Mm. Sure seems to be that way, right? Well, why do you say it, that? Why do you think it's a bad... Let's start with the first. Why is it a bad idea for the church? Uh, well, I mean, it just puts the focus in the wrong place. Uh, and I, I know it's easy to say that. It's common to say that, well, our focus should be on the Lord and certainly on the word and, you know, and the, the gospel, the work of the kingdom and whatnot. But it is, um, you know, when, when the when the when the real story and, you know, this is this is always a subtext. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. you know, a, a celebrity pastor isn't going to get up and say to his congregation and to everybody who's watching online or on TV and say, I just want to let you know. This is really about me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not going to get that. Devils um, in the details. Uh, right. So it's it's a lot more subtle, um, but it can very much go there. And I, you know, living in the world that I lived in for 14 years, I began to see this more and more. And I, you and I didn't talk about this, but St. Giles uh, was just down the road from the PTL ministry and the whole Jim and Tammy Faye oh, Baker right. and. And uh, the um, I kind of watched that whole thing happen firsthand, and that affected um, certainly the you know the church in America, the church globally. It affected our church. We had people who worked there and 
um, who really love that ministry. And it was kind of like, this whole thing is toxic. Hmm. Um, and I also had, you know, I didn't quite realize, realize what I was getting into, but when I, I, I took the, the church that I went to that you described, um, the first meeting that I had with the staff, I walked in and it was a large church and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, the, there were probably about 50 staff members in attendance and, you know, I just come from this little church in West Virginia, kind of like on the backside of a mountain. And, yeah. you know, I was just like, I don't know, I'm just kind of a, a hick, really, I suppose. Yeah. And I walked in and bam, all these people stand up when I walk in the room. When I walk in the room, everybody stands. And I'm like, well, that I'm uncomfortable with this mm-hmm. immediately. And the more I kind of lived in that world, the more I began to realize how much, at least in that particular world, things were biased in that direction. And I began to just become more and more aware of how really unhealthy this was. Yeah. Um, oh, I have so many questions about that. Um, so let me, ju- let me play, um, I hate saying this, this phrase, but let me just play the devil's advocate for a minute because I don't really like the devil, so I don't want to advocate anything he advocates for. But let me just... Uh, say what I hear so often, um, and, and a little bit about me, because I know you don't know. I'm, I, I'm a millennial, uh, right on the cusp between Gen X and millennial, and a church planter prior to my career in the, the media world. And the one thing that, that pastors would say to justify the culture of celebrity in their churches is that we have to get more people in our churches, because if we get more people in our churches, we're reaching more people for Jesus. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, and, and maybe this is a cynical view, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, what we really have to fight there is whether or not we really need more people in our churches for Jesus or whether we need more people in our churches for us. So let me just, um, so while I know that to be true, let me just say this. Let me say what I would hear maybe somebody of my colleagues say. Well, Reed, if you're going to reach people for Christ and you're going to do it effectively, guess what? You're going to be a celebrity. It's going to happen to you whether you want it or not. So what would you say to that? Like, to have a growing church is going to put you in the position of celebrity. There's a certain amount of truth in that. I mean, the... um, But it still doesn't mean... And let me just say this, first of all. There are many, many really fine people in larger churches with celebrity pastors. There are, quote, celebrity pastors who don't really want to be celebrities, yep. and they're constantly always trying to sort of knock that idol down and uh, beat it back in a corner. But there are certain things which are endemic in this setting. Um, first of all, you know, you mentioned, well, we just got to reach more people for Jesus. I agreed. Um, and there are ways like... For example, there were things that we could do because of economy of scale uh, that were, you know, they were not insignificant. We were kind of a pioneer in terms of a, a number of media ministry things. We had the size, we had the money, we had the staff. Uh, the um, And there's value in all of that. But you can see the value in it, but at the same time recognize, wait a minute, we, we've got some potential pitfalls here. And it... Um, there are probably two big things that most especially come to mind right now. And let me just sort of put them out there and then we can maybe unpack them a little bit. 
One of them is just simply the whole thing about um, ego. Yeah. And the amount of ego that's involved when you are the man of God and the ways in which that can subtly play upon you and that can corrode and corrupt your character, even your very strong character, it is subtle, it's powerful, it needs to be recognized. Um, the, um, the, the Secondly, we probably need to have a real conversation about, so what is a pastor? Yeah, that's good. Um, and what's what's the role of a pastor and what's the relationship between a pastor and a congregation? I, I know I mentioned this to you when we were having an initial conversation. I began to realize that um, I, I knew maybe 10% of my congregation in reality. And, you know, they they would speak as if they knew me, you know, Pastor Nate this, Pastor Nate that, et cetera. But in reality, I was not their pastor. This was a fiction in terms to utilize that title. I was a guest lecturer in their lives. And that had, a, I suppose, a certain amount of value. Um, But the relationship between a congregant and a pastor, that's a real, real relationship, is so sacred. And I believe it's absolutely instituted of God. Um, and I think a lot of people never really experience it in their lives. Well, I think part of the problem here is that I think the, the, there is not just the unfortunate reality of celebrity pastorship associated with successful churches. I think this is a model because I've even heard um, pastors talking about having successful growing churches and how they need to make sure that when they do become the celebrity that they make sure that they do not have connection with their people because they do not want to be worshipped as a pastor or they don't want to give into celebrity culture so what they do is they put as much separation between them as their and their actual congregation that uh, that they can and so the reality is, is that anybody will tell you you cannot be a mega church pastor and truly pastor your your church. I've, I, so I'm almost curious, too, what you would think about this, because the model becomes then this. And I guess this is what I'm saying, is, is that when you are a celebrity pastor, it is not just an unfortunate reality. It is the model that we create ministry around. It becomes the reality that that is our paradigm for ministry. So the only thing that you can feasibly say is that you are pastoring your staff, but you're not actually pastoring your flock, because you can't. You can only right. pastor the people who are pastoring the people. So, right. so what are your thoughts on on that in terms of the person who's speaking on Sunday actually being the person who is pastoring the flock? Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I I'm not shepherding a large church right now. Um, you know, we're sort of uh, on the small side of side of a medium sized church, and a meaningful amount of my time is tied up with shepherding those who shepherd the flock. Mm -hmm. You can really only really truly shepherd so many people. I mean, I think that's a reality, but, but still it means so much that the people at our church, they know they can get me. They just, you know, they, and and I'll, I'll say to people frequently, I say, Hey, you know, I actually work here. Uh, (laughs) They were just kind of like a novel thought. Yeah. And, and I was told when I first went into my setting, and I, w- I was in my late 30s at that point, that I, I could not um, shepherd people, that, that that just was not allowable. And I guess I sort of broke all the rules. I yeah. mean, I just, you know, 
didn't know how to do it any other way. Uh, any other way. And on the one hand, yes, mentoring and developing other leaders, but still, the, and this I think is so important. Um, something happens inside your heart when you are in the hospital with a family whose baby just died. Yeah. And I don't think you can get up in the pulpit and preach unless you've done that. Or, you know, you're actually out on the streets with a team of people looking for a guy who is addicted to cocaine and who's fallen away. And this is now devastating to his family. And, you know, you, you find him. Um, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus had his hands down deep into the soil of people's lives. And at the same time, he was obviously mentoring and developing the 12. I mean, I guess I can't speak for other people, but I know that my preaching, unless my preaching is grounded, not only obviously first and foremost in the word of God, but also in people's lives. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, Paul said, weep with those who weep and with, rejoice with those who rejoice. You're living that life with your people. I think your preaching ends up becoming plastic. Mm, I think so too. I, I almost, I almost want to make that a universal because I think that that's so true. I think that you have to have the experience of the wounds. I, I mean, I, to get a little bit esoteric and theological, isn't that what the incarnation is? And I think that that brings us kind of the next thing is like, could you classify Jesus as a celebrity? And and I'm gonna I'd love to hear you respond to this because I've thought a lot about this because I care about the church and I care about God's people. Um, I don't think you could classify Jesus as a celebrity as anything other than an, a completely reluctant celebrity. And he was a celebrity um, out of necessity because of the power with which he flowed in. And I think we've got this wrong. I think there's a healthy amount of cultural syncretism that's happening in the church today. In other words, that we're adopting cultural ideas and then assuming that they are biblical. And celebrity is is perhaps one of these ones. And and so I think we've we've flip-flopped it. We've said we are we should desire to um, be a celebrity because that gives us influence. And I'm 100% positive that Jesus, at many occasions, refused celebrity because celebrity was thrust upon him because of influence. Now, I've even heard megachurch pastors say this, that like the bigger the platform gets, uh, the the bigger our influence is in people's life. Now, there may be a certain amount of truth to that as well, but the reality is, is that Jesus, Jesus was not interested in building a platform as much as he was in touching people's lives. And then the platform came as a result of that. And I'm just yeah, wondering right. if we, I, about the dichotomy there, if we flip-flopped this thing about like celebrity for influence rather than influence and then celebrity. Does that make sense? It does. And I, and I, I think the point that you're making is valid. Um, Jesus, Jesus was not looking for notoriety, but notoriety came to him. Yeah. Um, the, um, I, I, I guess I, I also really question, you know, the assumption that bigger is better. Hmm. The, I mean, I've pastored a very, very large church, and then I have pastored in three medium-sized churches. My observation is that the medium-sized churches have a much better chance at health. Yeah. Um, and the, it's not to say that there aren't healthy people in large churches. Of, of course there are. Um, but 
smaller churches and there's and there are look there are plenty of smaller churches that are unhealthy and that's why they're small hundred <laughs> percent and there are plenty of medium-sized churches that you know they're kind of stymied because there's they're not they're not healthy um but i really do believe that growth is best accomplished through church planting and if you've got a sort of a healthy medium-sized church you know you you would expect that you'd be having kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can plant other churches that, um, you know, maybe they grow to two, three, four, five, six, 700 people, whatever it is. And the the pastor and his staff is very involved in the lives of the people. And then they plant more people so that people actually, they have a real connection. And I don't think that if a pastor does not have a real connection with his church, like you really know people. This is a principle I learned way long, a long time ago. Shepherds know sheep by name. Mm. You know, I know every one of my people. I know them by name. Now there's a few hundred people. So, I mean, I, I have to pay attention, Sure. but sure. I know what's going on in their lives. Yeah. My hands are down and I, I pray for them meaningly. I mean, we have a very, very real connection with each other that permeates the body. Mm-hmm. And because of that significant connection that I have with the body and the body has with me, that goes into the church as a whole and people have a strong sense of community with each other. Now, in the typical celebrity model where you're told that you actually cannot, you cannot have that, you cannot do that, then you essentially have an artificial relationship with your congregation. Now, you've heard the old biblical axiom, as the priest, so the people, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely true. Yep. and it, that happens on a visceral level. I mean, I just always believe that whoever is preaching what is in them is on a visceral level going in uh, to the congregation. So if there is real love, real friendship, real community, then that becomes almost something of the air that a church breathes. And then we develop real community. And I, I'm really blessed because I I followed a guy um, there were a couple of interim pastors in between, but I followed a guy who, who he and his wife just modeled that. And so that was the assumption of the congregation. Yeah. This is the way we work. Um, that's incredibly important, not only for uh, the people in the congregation, it's very important for the pastor as well. And this is another axiom I learned like way back when, um, sheep need shepherds but shepherds need sheep. Hmm. I need my people. Yeah. I need the personal relationship with them. They, they help me. They keep me grounded. Um, and you know, honestly, they keep me accountable as well. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't, if, if you're like Ravi Zacharias and you know, that's a, that's a great tragedy, Yeah. but you know, if you're always getting on airplanes and if the only connection that you have with people is dig- is digital and you're ensconced within a, you know, a small group of people whose loyalty to you is so deep that they just may not ever really ask questions which need to be asked. That kind of isolation is dangerous. Mm-hmm. But if you're living, you know, in the middle of a community where you love the people and the people love you and you share life and whatnot, if something was going south in my life, my people would know it fast. And, you know, I'm just as much, I'm just as much of a potential sinner as anybody. I, I need that. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I need the friendship. I need the real life. I need the accountability. I mean, I, I spent some of my life just, you know, I was on airplanes, I was in meetings and I was on TV. Yeah. So and, I wonder, I wonder if we should work hard. This is a little bit of conjecture here, but if you'll walk down this road with me, because I think ultimately we have to then ask some questions here because obviously you and me, we come from a place of caring about the church, and this is not to uh, demean or uh, deny the the great work done by great pastors, big churches, yeah, and all right. of that stuff. But, it, but nonetheless, I think if you care about the church and you care about the truth, you have to ask questions. So if we go back to what you originally said that you illustrated so beautifully, that the most healthy churches are medium-sized churches. Now, obviously, that's your assertion, but I think your expertise, and I think, I think you can prove that objectively. If that's true, then the question becomes, why do we have big churches? And then I think we have to follow that question down the road a little bit and be willing to suppose... Um, just as Paul was willing to admit about himself, that there is a high level of flesh in some of the decisions that we make, and we need to be incredibly skeptical about some of the decisions that we're making. And I cannot help but wonder if we would agree that medium-sized churches are, objectively speaking, the most healthy churches, then we have to concur that perhaps the reason we have such big churches really isn't about gospel. It's not about gospel-centric ideas. It may be about egocentric ideas. I, I think there's truth in what you're saying, and I'm sure that you would quickly hasten to say with me that, as we, we said 10 minutes ago, not all medium-sized churches are healthy. Sure. Um, the um, And there are large churches that are comparatively healthy. I just think it's easier to achieve health in a medium-sized setting. And and I, I'll give an example. One of the one of the things that I did was I I led the fellowship group of of all the pastors of the largest churches nationally in our denomination. And so we would get together once a year and we'd hang out for three or four days with our wives and we just learn from each other. Um, and we shared a a common world, which is a unique world, and we we're able to. I guess commiserate in that just a little bit. But one thing that we all agreed, every one of us, was community was extraordinarily difficult in our setting. Mm -hmm. And as hard as we worked at creating it, you know, through small group networks and small group pastors and staff of small group pastors and, you know, on and on and on and on, there was something in a smaller congregation where you had an opportunity to create a level of community and health. And, and we all acknowledged it. We all acknowledged that there were things that we could do because of our economy of scale, but we all knew that we were missing something important. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think big picture in terms of representing the gospel to the culture Sure, there are things that you can do in terms of size. I, I get that. But I think if you if if you have churches which are sort of locally centered, neighborhood centered, where churches are reaching those neighborhoods and those churches have a strong sense of community and friends are reaching friends in their neighborhood with the gospel. And the um, I, I'll tell you a story uh, to sort of illustrate this. This became aware recently of a younger couple 
just coming into the life of our congregation, really, really struggling uh, in their marriage. And I just, you know, I just, I went up to their home and we spent time together. We talked, we prayed, yeah. prayed in their home. And as we were kind of winding up, a friend of theirs from across the street walked in and they, inter they introduced me and whatnot. And I could tell that the impact on that person was so high. The idea of, wait a minute, this is so personal. Yeah. It's so intimate, you know? Yeah. And there was a representation of the gospel in there that was really, really significant. So, you know, sometimes there are things that you can do with economy of scale and large and whatnot, but there are also things that you can do when you're smaller that are incredibly significant. And at the end of the day, we all know, I mean, we're going to, we're going to win people to Christ one at a time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the thing that strikes me about that story that the blown awayness with which people are surprised anymore when a pastor acts like a pastor. So yes. when you actually take time to, to be with people, like it's almost as if that everybody expects the kind of pastor for you to be as a celebrity pastor anymore, because it is so kind of prolific and it's so uh, common anymore. So I, I do think that there's something powerful about that when a pastor actually takes the time to do things that a pastor would be. But it's also a little, it's a little disappointing to me that that's so surprising to people anymore. It's, it's, it's stunning. I mean, I, even our own people, I have to keep convincing them that I really am here. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And I think that's one of the really important jobs of being a pastor. You're supposed to be there. Hmm. Like kind of like being a dad, yeah. you know, you're, you're just around and you're available. And I think that people draw tremendous strength from just the awareness of he's there. Yeah. I may not need to pick up the phone. I, I may not need to walk into a study and whatnot, but he's there. He's always there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's hugely significant, but I think many people do not live with that at all. I think the church, you know, the whole thing about the mega church deal um, is it furthers the idea of the church as institution rather than church as community. Yeah. And I mean, we all know this. I mean, our real power is in community. Yeah. And you talk about a like a really powerful evangelistic tool, community. Um, and I do think, broadly speaking, you know, let's say that you had um, a church of 2000. Okay. On the whole, it would at least be worth considering the possibility that five churches of 400 might actually be more effective than one church of 2000. Yep. Um, I've also tried to kind of redirect at least some of my life towards mentoring young pastors and just kind of like, we, we need more of you guys. Yeah. Uh, I also think that, you know, the idea that somehow there are a few superstars that are just like way more talented than anybody else. Mm -hmm. My experience with the church is like, they're, the church is like jammed full of superstars. hundred percent. There's so many people who are so capable on a whole variety of uh, levels. And we we need to be empowering and releasing and not drawing the attention to like the star. Yeah, so I, 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 wanna, I wanna push back just a little bit um, to something we talked about or just briefly talked about, because I think this is super important too. Um, and I just wanna see what you make of this. And maybe this is a generic question, but, but I've thought a lot about this. 
the the tendency for Jesus to separate himself, not just for the sake of being with his father, but I also think because he was deeply concerned with the way in which people were perceiving his ministry. He fought for that. So like when anybody tried, like you think John chapter six, when they try to make Jesus a king, but I, I'll just, maybe this is cynical too, but I'll just be honest with you. I think, I think the vast majority of us would justify, hey, if I'm king, well, maybe I can reach more people for Jesus. I wonder about the difference between what we were talking about with building a bigger platform to reach more people, even if it's not healthier, is that same thing where Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to be your king because you're misrepresenting what I came here to do and who I am. And so at that point in time, this is right before Jesus is, is going to be crucified. At that point in time, he says to the crowd of people who, who he refuses to make him king, he says, um, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. And it says at that point in time, tons of people walked away from him. So there were times where Jesus overtly did things to get people away from him, which it just seems like so counterproductive to the way that we teach ministry anymore, especially to people my age and younger. You are supposed to be a celebrity almost. Um, and we can maybe talk about big launches. I'd like to talk to you about that too. Um, but Jesus like fought for this because he knew that if people made this about the celebrity of Jesus and not the person of Jesus, they would miss Jesus completely. And Jesus was so sensitive to this because he knew this was a gospel issue. So what do you make of the fact that Jesus, his brothers even accused him of this, by the way, like, you're this big public figure. You need to go and go to this party. Uh, the fact that Jesus was a public figure and Jesus was what you might consider a celebrity, but fought as much as he could to make sure that that is not why people were around him to the point of even pushing people away. Because let me step back because I didn't finish. John chapter 6, those people walk away and then Jesus turns to his disciples. And I know you know this, but for my audience, I want to say it. And he turns to, to his disciples and he says, are you going to walk away too? And then Peter responds to him and says, where else can I go? But you have the words of eternal life. Right. And so it does bring the question too, not only about the platform, but are we there um, are we there for the right reasons? So what do you make about the fact that Jesus on many occasions refused celebrity culture? Yeah, I mean, I Jesus Jesus was authentic. He wanted to live an authentic life. I can't imagine that the tendencies and the pitfalls have changed all that much in in two thousand years. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, I think that Jesus um, for Jesus, it wasn't about Jesus. I'm not sure that in a sense it was even about his ministry. And let me explain what I mean by that. For Jesus, it was about the person in front of him. Hmm. And I mean, it's just clear. It yeah. was always about the person in front of him. He was available. He just made himself available to people. And that may be one reason why he periodically pulled away. I mean, it's the old story of the woman who comes, takes the issue of blood, takes hold of his gar garment. And Jesus says, I felt virtue or power go out of me. You, when you make yourself really available to people, power does go out of you. I mean, it's, hmm. it, it's tiring. You do need to pull away in order to recharge your batteries. But I, I don't I don't think that Je clearly Jesus was not worried about his reputation. Mm -hmm. He was worried about his integrity. He was deterred, worried about the truth of uh, the scriptures, but he was not worried about his his reputation. I yeah, mean, far from it. Um, I mean, he did those things which in some ways deliberately drug his reputation through the dirt. But he 
did it for the sake of reaching people for uh, with the gospel. Um, I just think, you know, I, I, I feel like you can feel it, Reed. I mean, I, you know, where, where churches are built around celebrity, I think you can feel it in the church. You can feel it in the people. You can feel it in the pastor. Yeah. There are people who have celebrity status that, uh, to me, they don't have that feel about them. I'm, I'm a big fan of Tim Keller's. I mean, of course, I am a Presbyterian. <laughs> yeah. And Tim, Tim, yes, large church, uh, Redeemer up in New York City. But Tim and his wife always extremely authentic. And it was never about Tim, clearly. Um, I, I really appreciate John Piper. Um, I just don't have the feel that it's about John. I have the feeling that it's about the scriptures mm-hmm. and he's not trying to quote, build something. He's trying to do something yeah. and he just wants to faithfully exposit the Bible um, and to do so with effectiveness. Is that going to keep you a certain size? It didn't in their, it didn't in their cases. Um, but see here, the, here, the, the thing is, is that you really have to be careful with it mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I watched this firsthand where I watched the corrupting influence of celebrity status. Yes. On the church. Yes. On some people, but especially on the leaders, pastors themselves, Yeah, you know, when it's, you know, when people are just always fawning over you, that is corrupting to your character. Yeah. Now, if you have incredibly strong character, maybe you can withstand it. And it's a testimony to Jesus that he was in fact able to do it, but it is, it is dangerous. And clearly, I mean, when we've seen the number of falls that we've had with regard to these high profile guys, those guys didn't start out to fall. Yeah, I guarantee you. For sure. Um, they started out because they love the Lord. They wanted to reach people for Christ and they did a lot of things right. And, you know, some of that was, Hey, they were faithful to the scriptures and some of it was, you know, just the sovereignty of God and on, on, and on. But they end up in like disastrous city. So how did they get to disastrous city? Well, I can just tell you because I had my eyeballs on it and to a certain extent experienced it. When you begin to move into that celebrity status, it's always about you. People are always fawning over you and whatnot. And after a while, you get used to it. And this is very corrupting. And then what happens, and I watched this happen with one friend of mine you you there's a lot of pressure in that world i mean there's a lot there's a lot of pressure in that world and then you begin to sort of feel like well i'm entitled to certain things in order to assuage this pressure and i'll i'll just tell you like a small story i was with a friend of mine and i pastored a very large church in our denomination and he was a you know something of a celebrity and he told me about this golf date that he had uh with his son you know, like this really famous golf course. And it looks, you know, I was like, how did you afford that? Hmm. You know, I mean, that's like crazy expensive. And we're still Presbyterian pastors. None of us make a lot of money. I mean, it's sort of by design, which is good. It's the way it should be. Um, and he said, oh, I just put on my expense account. And I thought, you, that was with your son. There's no justification for that. And he said, well, I was just exhausted. And so you begin to tell yourself that you're entitled to certain things because of the of the weight that you bear. And as soon as you go there, you are in a lot of trouble. And I guarantee you that even if you go beyond the church into like the Cuomo thing, okay, 
Cuomo probably told himself, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I wouldn't be surprised if he told himself that he carried so much pressure, so much responsibility as the governor of New York, that he was entitled to certain things. Right. Well, as soon as you tell yourself that you're entitled to certain things, you're in a world of hurt. The devil's got you. And I think that we want to be very careful about creating any kind of construct where that is a possibility. Yeah. Um, I, I also think I notice, as I'm sure you do, that in many instances, not all instances, but in many instances, these celebrity pastors, they are in independent church settings or they have an independent ministry. Yeah. Now, what the way this works is, let's say you built that. You have become the engine that drives the train. You're the fundraiser, basically. You're the one who has created the income for all these jobs and all these buildings and all these mortgages that need to be paid. The, um, and because of that, in many instances, people are not going to be inclined to challenge you, hmm. even when you should be challenged. And um, this is one of the great things about being in a construct. And this is one thing that I would say to your listeners. Are there a lot of great independent churches out there? There are. But just please understand that, that there is a weakness. There's a vulnerability. I agree with that, yeah. So I, I had a friend, because at the end of the day, look, if, if you're the star and there's no accountability over you, you can say, well, the elders hold me accountable. You're the meal ticket for the church. It, it, it is unlikely. Yeah. And they'll hold you accountable when things are like disaster built. But they may not hold you accountable early on when things could still be rescued. Anyway, so I had this this friend who had a church and it was really taken off and it was an independent church. And, you know, he was he was fond of saying to his congregation, I have an advisory board. I'm, I'm in accountability. I'm, I'm under accountability. He's a very talented guy. Well, you know, after a while. You know, the church was going great, but, you know, he was kind of into his secretaries and it and it came out. And then he, you know, the church was like, well, what about this accountability, this advisory board? Well, it turned out that the Constitution of the church had been written in such a way so that, yeah, there was an advisory board of some named people, but they had no authority. Mm. They couldn't do a thing. Yeah. Nobody could do a thing. The guy, the guy was smart. It was all written in such a way. So at the end of the day, he had his hands 100 percent on all the power the levers of power. And that also, that's a self-defeating construct because all of us should be under authority. All of us should be accountable. Ministry is intoxicating. It's powerful. You know, it's, I mean, you know, what, what's going on with, you know, Trump and Biden and all that stuff. Let me just tell you, tell you that's small time politics. It's small time. We do big time stuff. Hmm. because we do eternity yeah uh and that's incredibly intoxicating and you have to be very very careful with it and people do have a tendency to worship idols and so they have a tendency to worship pastors and so therefore you've got to constantly be working against that and hopefully your viewers and your pastor friends are in settings that are hostile to the idea of hero worship the idolatry of celebrity and they're working towards more authentic community and relationship and accountability. Um, One would hope, but one would hope one would hope, but I am slightly skeptical for this reason. 
I can point you to a bunch, hundreds, if <laughs> if maybe not thousands, of books and conferences to help you grow your church. I cannot think of a single one that will point you to what unhealthy growth looks like and how to avoid hero worship if it works. Now, I know they're out there, but we are so fixated on the growth of the church that we don't talk to especially young pastors about what do you do if it actually works and how to avoid some of those pitfalls. Now, maybe that happens within the context of what you're saying with like ecclesiastical structures or advisory boards and that kind of stuff. But I'm 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 not sure that it that it even happens there if it doesn't happen in the human heart and if it doesn't happen from the standpoint of why we're talking about building the church in the first place and the systems that we're going with. So I want to turn that into a question and just ask this. Um, you're probably familiar, but if my audience is not, I'll explain, with big launches. So in the church planting world, the idea is that you have a much higher success rate if you can launch big, as big as possible. The one thing that I never heard questioned among those circles and people when I was being trained for that kind of stuff is, um, what if these pastors are pastoring for the first time and they're immediately thrust into a big church? Can you imagine what that does to a young pastor who's pastoring for the first time and their first experience is they strike lightning or they strike gold and all of a sudden now they have this huge big church? I think we sometimes think maybe the sovereignty of God type of thing, like we would just say, oh, well, God wouldn't let that happen. Yeah, but like, what if he, what if he does, and what if that happens? What if you're successful with the big church thing? I guess, that, and then, and then, if you are, why don't we spend more time talking about the kind of things you just mentioned, hero worship, the, our capacity for idolatry, and how to avoid and how to put in structures in place so that you do not allow that stuff to get to you. You know, I, I, I am constantly amazed at how dumb I am. Um, you too. And I, 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 I am, um, I'm 64. I started ministry unordained on a church staff in 1982. So I am completing my 40th year of ministry. And, um, I am completing my 35th year of ordained, uh, ministry. And, I find that, first of all, there are many, I am far more likely to say, you know, I just don't really know yeah. um, than I was when I was younger because I always felt pressured like I was supposed to have the answer, you know. Um, the other thing that I find is that as every year passes, um, I see increasingly the wisdom of the scriptures with regard to Moses, who did not begin his ministry till 80. Mm. And I, I think, you know, that your point is well made. I think young pastors with lots of notoriety and success that, you know, God may well be sending the success, but I, I would hope and pray that in settings like that, that there would be not an advisory board, but a genuine ecclesiastical construct. Mm -hmm outside of that church because if it's really really going well the elders are going to have tremendous difficulty confronting a guy who did the guy who got the lightning in the bottle yeah you know and 
But if you're coming in from the outside and you have genuine authority from the outside, then you're you're far more likely to be able to say, you know, we, we got a problem here, Houston, mm-hmm. and to to confront it. So I would I would hope that the young pastor would have that. Now I, you know, I get that we live in this, you know, American church world where for a certain percentage of folks, the idea of denomination is anathema. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand some of the reasons why people feel that way. But the New Testament really does. I, I think it is inescapable that the New Testament does not have people carrying out ministry on their own. I mean, very clearly, Timothy was under the authority of Paul. Titus was under the authority of Paul. The churches in Syria and Cilicia were underneath the authority of the Jerusalem Council. Uh, I mean, it's another thing I did. I ran a denomination for a while. Yeah. And the... Uh, and that was the you know elected office deal, and we we really need. I mean, it's just so especially in the in the world of success, some kind of accountability, some guidance, you know, and some some older heads yeah. that you know can can help the young talented guy, and and praise the Lord for the young talented guys for sure, for sure. Okay, so I want to step back and just ask you this. Um, and maybe I'm going to sound like an old gray-headed dude, and I'm only almost 40. So, um, But I have we, and there's maybe a healthy amount of conjecture here, but I'm just curious what you would say. Have we adopted a, has the church as an institution become too culturally minded, and this is why celebrity pastors are even a thing? Um, I understand, like, again, I'll roll back and just repeat the tape and say, by all uh, metrics, you might consider Jesus a celebrity, but he was like the worst. He had the worst repu- like relationship with his celebrity of any celebrity I've ever known. And so, <laughs> yeah, really. and so, so Whoever I was Jesus' public relations guy. He was terrible. Yeah, he was horrible. <laughs> he, like his so off-brand Jesus. Shame on you. Um, and so, it just leaves me wondering: Are is the church becoming? so culturally minded that this is why even you or I are talking about this kind of thing today. And we see the kind of epic falls that happen among celebrity pastors. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. It, it, um, um, one of the things that we're working on as a congregation is let's just call it not the new. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there's certain like, I mean, we love the new thing, right? And we're yeah. also like hungry for the new thing and whatnot. But it, um, I mean, let's face it, Christianity really hasn't changed much in 2000 years. It's the same old thing. Yeah. But if the same old thing has really, really got a hold of our hearts, then we're like exploding with joy and enthusiasm and faith and passion and whatnot. Our culture is always like onto the next thing, onto the new thing. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with that. I like, how about if we just like really, really love Jesus? If Jesus was enough, it didn't have to be Jesus and something else. Mm. Or, you know, in my life, Jesus and the hot church or Jesus and the celebrity pastor. What if, what if Jesus was enough? And what if I was in a community with other people, many of whom were believers and some of whom were like, yeah, they were seekers, but they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the journey. I want to know where it was like, you know, Christ alone. This is, this is, this is it. This is, 
he is the pearl of great price. Yeah. And I, um, you know, when you look at uh, Paul the Apostle is another good example. You know, Paul was not a celebrity. I mean, yep. that whole thing about, you Celebrities know, don't get stoned the last time I checked. Yeah, right. He, you know, small, weak, you know, unimpressive in stature and speech. Um, but Paul knew what it was to build with gold, silver, and costly stones. Hmm. Um, that would be, you know, a good question might be for those of us in ministry, do we pass the Paul test? Hmm. Um, the, um, you know, Peter, uh, and I mean, how did it end up for Peter? Well, crucified upside down. Um, it, it's it's just so intoxicating, Reed. I mean, you know, it. it uh, and I and I'll give you an, I'll give you another example of this. I mean, I was kind of, I was invited into a meeting one time. Um, this was in the early years of the Obama presidency, and you know, he was like pressing obviously a very different agenda, political and moral agenda. And I was invited into a meeting with many of the highest profile pastors in America. And I was kind of like, why am I here? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I don't really belong, but I don't know. I mean, it was probably just a mistake that I got invited. And I'm in this room, with, I don't know, about 35 or 40 guys. And they were just furious. They were furious about the whole Obama thing. They were furious about the liberal agenda. They were furious about where everything was going, and the, and they be, and they 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 said they're stealing our country. And I was just so angry at that statement. Mm. It's not your country. Yeah. It's not my country. It's Jesus's country. Yeah. And what he wants to do with it is what he wants to do with it. We got one job, which is to preach the gospel and, well, just make disciples. That's 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 our call. And whatever happens, uh, that's in the hands of the Lord. But I just I was always struck by that. I thought, you know, that that is a statement of such ego. You know, the country belongs to you, belongs to your yeah. pulpits. And somebody's taking it from you. I, I just thought that. That's it's just, a shift. The, it's, it's a height of hubris, mm -hmm. but see, that's the, that's the problem. If, you know, every time you walk into a room, everybody stands up, Yeah. you know, you, you go to the airport and they hold the, they hold the plane for you, you know, is, or you go to the airport and you're getting on a private plane, I mean, yeah, a jet, on your private jet. jet, you know, it's, it so subtly wraps itself around. It's always around you. It's the way everybody's reacting to you that that you'd have to be so strong in the Lord for that not to eventually begin to corrupt mm. and corrode your character. Yeah. And I, I mean, I look at like a guy like Ravi Zacharias and I'm like, I just wouldn't be surprised if he started as a youthful, young, idealistic, anointed guy who really wanted to do God's will. But after a while, as people responded to him, it became built more and more around Ravi. And then Ravi began to believe that, that it was about me. And then like, well, I carry such pressures. I'm entitled to certain things. And, yeah. you know, you make these moral choices. Um, and I'll tell you something else about this. That's, that's, this isn't just the problem with pastors. This is the problem with people. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem with church members. 
um, because there was a, th- this game is played on both sides. On the one side, it's played on the side of the pastors because you subtly, you're like, you want the power, you want the notoriety, you want the celebrity, you want to be the man. The other side of it, and the devil's in that. The other side of it is that the devil can be in it with the people because if you begin to sort of play that game and set the person up on the pedestal more and more and more, well, you're the ones who put them there. So now who really does have the power? Yeah. Mm, Because you can turn on him and you can pull it away. Yeah. I think the devil plays it on both sides. Mm -hmm. And it, um, we've all seen with our own eyes, too many stories that have ended badly. Yeah. There's that scripture verse that says, once have I heard, um, uh, I can't remember it exactly, but, but twice of, once have you spoken twice have I heard power belongs to the Lord. Um, as you're saying that, that's what, uh, what reminded me is that we, we never need to forget who the true celebrity is, but we do have a capacity to convince ourselves by saying, oh, well, I've never forgotten Jesus as the celebrity. And then you go get in your private chat or you go get in your limousine and everybody bows down to you and you just say, well, this is just part of the life that I need to create so that I can uh, continue the work of the Lord, or whatever you may say. We're good. I guess what I'm saying is self-deception runs deep in our species. So we can say we're doing one thing and we're actually doing a totally different thing. It runs very, very deep. And I, you know, all those those things that I kind of observed and experienced a a little bit of it, I, I, it was clear to me, this is intoxicating it's a sort of a siren song and i didn't trust myself in circumstances like that i i needed to be in the hospital with the family that just lost the baby because then it makes me seem whatever problems i got they're pretty small yeah um yeah it's a humbling thing and and pastors need people shepherds need sheep we we need to be like jesus you know a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we need to be with people and not, you know, just always, well, again, I spent a certain section of my life. I was on airplanes. I was in meetings where I was the star in the meetings. I was running the meetings or I was on television mm-hmm. or I was in a pulpit preaching to a, you know, a large groups of people. Um, the uh, And I tell you, if you want to really talk about as much of an issue as we have with this in America, I remember at one point preaching in Africa, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is this is that on steroids." <laughs> I can relate um, to that. I've been to Africa. I know what you mean. Oh my gosh, you know, and it's it's like this is this is not good. It made me feel very uncomfortable the way they treated me. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'll sidestep away from that and just leave people wondering and just say, "All right, so let's end on a practical note and just." I don't know that this would happen, so maybe this is illusions of grandeur, but I do know a lot of pastors, and I do know a lot, a lot of young pastors, and I know this. The more I started to run in the circles that I was running in, the more uncomfortable I started to feel like you with the way that ministry was being conducted by and large um, yeah. in our modern setting. So let's say there is a pastor, young pastor specifically, pastor just in general, that happened upon what we just did and they listen to it, and they've started to feel convicted, but they're lacking, because I know this is what naturally happens next. They're lacking the courage to make the decision that they need to make if they're going to change things. Because once you've been successful at something, it's incredibly hard to stop doing that thing, even if you feel like it's wrong. 
Um, cause there's an allure there that like is very, very deep in the human heart. Um, and we've, con- we've convinced ourselves, we've absolutely drank our own Kool-Aid in terms of what the church is supposed to look like and have had very little people who are willing to have the conversation we just had in terms of questioning that. So let's say somebody has watched this, they started to feel convicted in their own church about what's going on, and they need to probably change some things. What would you encourage that pastor to do um, as a next step in, in kind of their journey if they start to feel like maybe I'm part of a celebrity culture here and we need to make some changes? Go talk to your wife. <laughs> That's great, great advice. And be like really honest hmm. and say, honey, I, this, this could wreck our lives. And talk with your wife, pray with your wife, That'd be the first thing mm-hmm. I do, because if you can't talk about it with your wife, um, you're you're still you want that culture too much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, start there. Um, if you're if you're blessed, if you're in a setting where you have somebody who's older and who's just wise and godly, I, I was just always blessed. I was always in settings where there was just always um, a wise, godly, prophetic, you know, stable, loving man, leader around whom I could trust. Uh, Go talk to them. Um, If you are blessed to be in a denominational structure where there's a bishop or a you know, some somebody in a denominational structure that can say, "I'm just, I'm, I'm concerned about this." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do do that. I mean, I, I, gosh, it seems to me that between those three conversations, you probably would have put into motion uh, a lot of protection. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being being willing to have this conversation, your transparency to do it, because. You know, I think we're we're afraid at times that um, that we might injure something in the process of people's. You know, I think people's. Um, I would call it blind faith in the church as an institution, but I think actually the opposite happens when we're willing to be honest about these things, is that it gives people a sense of faith and credulity that we're willing to make sure that we're analyzing what we're doing and making sure that it's as scriptural as possible. So I really do appreciate your thoughtful responses to this because the one thing I know for sure is especially having conversations with all sorts of people on my podcast that are in the Christian world and outside of the Christian world, this is something that that people are talking about and this is something that is that is on people's minds. So if we just avoid it, I don't think we do anybody any, any uh, favors. So I do think that there needs to be kind of some more honest and helpful. I would love for there to be a a church conference setting where we talk about what healthy growth actually looks like, but I haven't seen one yet. Um, So I I think we need to talk about it more. So for whatever part that this podcast can play in that, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Thanks so much, Reed. I enjoyed it. God bless you. God bless you. And thank you for everything you're doing at St. Giles and uh, and beyond. So I uh, appreciate your heart as a pastor. We need more people like you. So thank you for being on today. And thank you guys for watching. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. 
If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. IndieThinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself. <laughs>